you know, that we get the blessing of hearing the truth. And it just is, um, I was talking to my wife on the way to church this morning, and we were talking about missions and what, uh, you know, I told you all last week, gave you a report of my two weeks in Peru, and then Chris and I have been talking and um, about missions in Peru and other things of that nature. And I had mentioned to him um Remember last week in the class I talked about the people in that village of Weak didn't uh, or couldn't, maybe is a better word, couldn't, didn't understand the, the free gift of faith. You know, they, they understood grace was, was free because just by pure definition that they, they got that, but then the faith and, and, uh, really struggled with it. It was, it was just, um, it was amazing to me to see my Western culture evangelical evangelism mind grinding at the inability of these people to be able to comprehend what I'm saying and not wanting to just force my way in there and and say, well, you know, just do this. Because you know what? We can teach anybody. We know that if you're a parent, especially, you know, we can teach anybody how to regurgitate anything so that the next time you ask it, they got the answer, right? But that's not what, that's probably part of what's wrong with the church today of um, that being done and people really aren't converted. So I wanted to slide that in, you know, come on guys, just get it, you know, just read the next couple of words in the text we're looking at and you'll understand this. But Brad, the missionary, he was kind of elbowing me, let them think, look, look, you know, it's kind of like if you could see inside their minds, you could see the gears turning, they were processing, you know, so I was sharing that with Chris and he said, well, you know, it's, it's kind of the same way in Croatia, they can't, they don't have the concept of anything being free, right, and and uh, th- and I thought, wow, you know, here I was way down here in this canyon and he's speaking of somewhere on the other side of the world in Europe, and, and it's the same thing. And so what a gift it is to know that that um, for us that the Lord has opened our hearts, opened our minds to understand this this free gift that he's given us. And But then, as I was talking to Kid about it, is to strip down that even further. And you look at like we came by the Catholic Church, you know, and... And they're in that mindset, you know, this can't be free. We have to perform in order to get this. And that just ties so well into what we've been studying in Galatians for the last few weeks. Um, So we kind of ended last week with just the introduction to verse 10, Um, you know, and and what we saw of chapter 1 in Galatians um, in in understanding that when Paul pronounced this curse, this anathema on the Galatian church um, in verses uh, 8 and 9 for, uh, you know, he was really dropping the hammer, we would say, right? And, and it wasn't um, for his own, his own popularity or his personal um, um, success, but he was so concerned with God's truth that, that he dropped that bomb of, you know, you, if you do this, you're, you're cursed, right? Anathema. And, you know, and also I think with that though is that it was in defense of his apostleship, uh, for the purpose of defending his authority and his, his defending the integrity of, of the gospel itself. 
And they'd made accusations against him that involved the lie that he was purposefully watering down the gospel to make it easy so that uh, that so that he would be popular among the people that were purporting this legalism you know that you have to follow the law in order to be a christian in other words you got to be a jew first so a law follower um, in particular in Galatians, you know, the, the idea of circumcision in order to be a Christian. So they, they claim that he was simply saying what people wanted to hear. So he responds with verse 10 as we got into. So somebody read verses 10 through 12. This is kind of where we left off. Or am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me was not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the word for there, we talked about that a little bit last week. That can be translated sometimes as the word there. So he just pronounced this curse, so it's kind of like he's saying there. You got it? Right, I think it's helpful for me anyway to think of it that way. They're referring back to the strong cursings, right? Of you're a curse there. Okay, now you got it, and, and I think it's referring back to that because there was a time when Paul was trying to please man, right? Um, remember the days when he pleased his fellow Jews by persecuting Christians. You know, that was part of his game there. But that certainly wasn't the way that he had lived since his conversion. Since he was saved, he wasn't doing that any longer, right? That that would be ridiculous to think that he's still trying to appease these Judaizers that way. And and I think we get the proof of that because he even says here that if that were true, and I like what the Legacy Standard Bible says here, he says, I would not be a slave of Christ, right? Paul's using forceful language there when he brings that word in. You know, he's kind of saying, you know what, um, uh, would a popularity seeker hurl anathemas at people? You know, if I was trying to gain your approval, I wouldn't be... uh, causing curse or saying you were cursed you know that people who flip flop around at every opinion and bias can't be slaves or as the esv and uh, other translations say servant of christ but paul is a servant of christ right i mean does anybody doubt that right after conversion of course interestingly it was these judaizers who were actually adding to the gospel not paul and not because they were wanting to displease people, but they were wanting to gain the approval and accommodate people. So they said, this is what you got to do. They they might be saying, as it were, uh, uh, giving a, a, an okay or a nod to the world's idea of religion, which Paul refers to in Colossians chapter 2. You remember how he says it there? What did he call it? The, the elemental principles of the world things like what remember don't taste don't touch don't do this don't do that right they were they they were we might say nodding to that idea so these are people who who were doing what they were doing not in the day in the name of faithfulness but in the name of their own standing trying to build a case of their own because the religion around them 
whether it was Judaism or paganism, was built on the concept of morality and earning your religious standing and right before God. Why is that so hard for us to understand? Um, Because, I mean, I, I think I've said this every week I've taught, you know, to, for us to stand in the grace of God in the faith, the trust, belief in God as that being imparted to us as a gift as well, certainly there has to be more, right? And that, again, is what the Peruvians and the Croatians and the Catholics and, and others struggle with. But what about us evangelicals? Do you ever struggle with that? Certainly, I got to fill in the blank. What do you think? I think when people, uh, when we uh, become slack in our spiritual disciplines, it, it, we lose uh, sight of the grace and, and our conscience condemns us, should, and so we're we find ourselves trying to do things to compensate from that rather than just drawing near to God and and having him draw near to us. Okay. Certainly that can play into it. But take that a step further. What about the person that says, well, I have to do the spiritual discipline in order to be in favor with God? You know, you see what I mean? Well, we're in America. We're one of the few cultures that has freedom of speech, freedom of thought, everywhere else in the world, you pay a price for stepping outside the norm. Mm-hmm. Whatever the norm is established, usually by the government. So if you look around the world, we're, we're one of the few places where you're, where the ideals of the government, let's say, are not imposed upon you. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand their difficulty. They have to overcome more than we do. We still have difficulty here, but in other places, you step out of line, you're, you're subject to punishment, if you will. They're sure. Subject to criticism or ridicule or so forth, even more so than us. Yeah, I mean, along that line, I think, and maybe some of y'all that have done missions can testify to this, that it seems to me that believers in other countries that I come across seem to be a lot more committed than American believers. Is that a fair statement? You know, they're 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 not as much on the fence. You know, especially um, in China. Especially in China. Yeah. So, but you see what I mean? Even the spiritual disciplines can be. You know, why well, I, I and I believe. I, I want everybody reading the Word of God. I'm not saying don't do those things. I want everybody praying. But, you know, if that becomes my entryway into favor, then I've done the same thing, right? Um, But certainly I was talking to somebody this week that has been living in some sin and has repented and things weren't going so well the month or so that that he was living in some sin. And then uh, I asked, I said, well, have you ever considered that it's been gone south for the last month because you've been living in sin? Well, yeah, I've considered that. <laughs> you know, jokingly, he was saying, you know, but it, yeah, you know, I mean, we can't expect God to to bless us while we're in, in you know, so. Any, well, any religious system that is not centered on the gospel of grace is going to 
tend to go towards something. Yeah. Yeah. It's inherent in all of us. Yeah. We we make the Catholic uh, belief system, you know, kind of a dirty word around evangelicals, but we all are Catholic inherently. Yeah. Because we do lean towards the tangible evidence that brings assurance. Yeah. Because of pride. Yeah. It's pride. Yeah. It's part of the rebellion. But then, of course, it can lead into licentiousness and an indulgence of the flesh. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's a constant battle, even if we think we have the right doctrines and the right that's right and hold to the solas, we're still inherently going to call people to a standard that is not our right to judge, and then we're going to wrongly hold ourselves to standards as if our acceptance by God were based on anything other than Christ. And when Paul says, we'll get to it, that I do not set aside the grace of God for Christ, if we could gain righteousness through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Mm-hmm. That has to be the center. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. James Kennedy said there's 1,500 religions in the world. And when you take the ribbon and the wrapping off of them, you come down to just two. One is what I've done and the other is what Christ has done. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Which, you know, I think, again, that I've brought out a couple times in verse 3, you know, in his kind of greeting, if you will, a grace to you. In peace, back to the grace, right to the proper understanding of the grace. But you know, so um, part of what's going on here, though, is that every religion around them, whether it was Judaism or paganism, was built on that concept of morality, earning your right before God. So, have you ever considered what Paul is doing here? Is is he's He's stating the fact in in our terms today of, hey, I wouldn't have said that to you if I were trying to please you, right? I'm not a people pleaser. But um, so the question then comes to my mind of what motivates people pleasers? Paul saying, I'm not a people pleaser. I'm a slave, a servant of God, a slave, a servant of Christ. So what motivates people pleasers? Praise of men, and, and what's behind the praise of men? The assurance. The assurance. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I certainly agree with both of those. But I was thinking something, same type of thing, which I think motivates me when I get in that mindset of wanting to gain that praise, that approval. Is re- idolatry of self? Feed your ego. Feed your ego. Yeah. That's what I had. Fear of man. I ultimately fear what might happen to me if, but certainly all those things are, you know, wanting the approval, uh, the pride and, and all. So, yeah, certainly, you know, that the people pleasers are motivated by the fear of man. So then what motivates a servant of Christ, a slave of Christ? Fear of God, right? Not... Well, let's talk about that. What does that mean? Fear of God. I better obey or I'm going to get struck by that lightning bolt. You know, um, is that what it is? You know, I must have really messed up the day the tornado cut my house in half because, you know, I get simply anxious every time I hear trees clapping together now, by the way. So God's given me lots of weird lessons in life. Watch out for the fish with the fins on their back and might be a dolphin, but it might not. Um so, so what is the fear of God? 
Well, it's a complex word because it means not only, um, especially for a sinner, they should legitimately fear God and fear his wrath um, in the in the scared sense, right? Um, but at the same time, for the for someone who is saved, they also see God um, in awe, reverence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on, on where you are. At the same time, there's also this fear that I don't want to displease God uh, for the Christian, too. So I think it's just multifaceted yeah. Uh, yeah. in its meaning. Yeah, and, and we're going to build on that some in this lesson. But yeah, that's it, right? I, I picked up a book that I, I probably got 25 years ago. Little tiny book by E.W. Tozier called uh, "The Knowledge of God." Maybe is that right? Knowledge of the Holy, and just read the first little chapter in it the other day, and and um, that's what he was driving this point. In the, I think in the, maybe the fifties is when he was. For those young people, that was you know, long time ago. Yeah, not so long ago for us, right? Seems like yesterday. But anyway, um, you know, and he was talking about how the church then seems to have lost that concept of the holiness of God, you know, which I think all ties into what you were talking about with the reverence. And the... Steve Lawson gave a message, I think it was in 2019 in London, where he talked about the fear of God. Um, and basically he said that, you know, a long time ago people used to say that's a God-fearing person. And now, like, that's a bad thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he says, we really need to get back to that. Because without the fear of God, you might as well throw that book away. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nothing because you're going to interpret it through your eisegesis. Yeah, that's a good, man, we could talk about that the rest of the class, couldn't we? You know, I mean, think about that. And I just finished this Luther biography as well. Um, and, um, you know, Luther, he, I mean, he, he did a, he had a lot wrong, right? There may be a lot that he didn't do, we could say. But if you really understand what was going on with his life and how his his struggles with this you know uh what his his how the lord allowed him to be lord saved him first off and then you know allowed him to understand what justification really is and we talked to chris talked about it some i talked about it some in his love for the book of galatians you know, he, he called it his wife his catherine you know his wife and um, uh, but understanding that he really he did have a fear of God, um, and maybe he just didn't live long enough to flesh out the rest of the things. Do you ever wonder what the church today would be like if the reformers would have gotten it all right? You know, <laughs> you know, the infant baptism wouldn't be an issue, and some other issues, right? But but yeah, so the fear of God, you know, um, is something that people pleasers. Um, I think kind of maybe pretend to serve God out of fear, but that what they're really doing is pleasing themselves, really serving themselves. So how do servants, slaves of Christ, actually serve God? If it's not for self-benefit, how, how do we do it? How do we really, what does it mean for you today to be a servant of Christ? What does that mean? How, how do you serve Christ today? Obedience, all right, and in what? His commandments. All right, Ben. But what would be some something? I, I strip it down to the Christian life is two things, love right? And then what's it? You know, love others. Yeah. So that's it. I think you know we do that by meeting the needs of other people, right? 
People pleasers are anxious for approval from others and they're distraught when they don't get it. But servants of Christ simply love others. And then here's the hard part. Leave the approval or the disapproval to the judgment of God. You know, you got to leave it there. So have you ever had a, a time in your life where you felt like you were serving God by serving others and it didn't quite turn out the way you wanted it to. You ever had one? Anybody want to share one? Yes, sir. I, I think as you get older, things come back to you that you didn't expect that you might have done. And I, I think about my military career. And I get responses from Facebook or email. Are you the person who was here at this particular time? I don't know if I want to answer that or not. More often than not, they have been people who are reaching out to say, that was a moment in my life. I just want you to know that I was glad to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And you didn't even realize at that time there was going to be a moment in their life, but it really kind of gives you a good feeling to know that it had a positive impact. But you don't know really what your motivation was. You kind of think back. Right. I, I want to think that it was from the heart that you did something and it stuck. Yeah. And, yeah. And that, that's, so that was that'd be a good outcome. Yeah, I don't know if it was a Christian me doing it or if it was a commander and me doing it. It needed to be done, but the fact is, it was a good. It, it had a good response to that person. It made a difference in their life. Good. Good. Yes, sir. Should. That's a situation where I've had to learn because I, I hate being in that situation. I just and what makes you hate that? The fact that because you don't you don't want. Um, I mean, I, I guess I've had uh, you know I've had problems in the past being kind of a having fear of man. Um, you know, I don't want to be. Nobody wants to be disliked. Sure. Yeah. 
And being okay with that is what? Yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and claim that I'm innocent of ever having been the, the flying the ointment. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's it. But the people pleasing in us is uh, what drives, you know, if we're not careful, we'll drive to try and get the approval that we're looking for there. So, like you're saying, it's hard to just let it be, right? Um, there's. Two really good books, one by Lou Priolo on uh, people pleasing, and then I think that's the name of it actually. It's got a little dog begging on the front of it. Well, yeah, and then Ed Welch has one when people are big, God is small. Uh, that title kind of says it all, doesn't it? But <clears throat> so think about that then. You know, that's where Paul's at. These are his, his uh, former buddies in Judaism, right? And then he says, in verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? You know, and he asked that, I think, um, because he knows the crisis in Galatia is not just simply a theological crisis, but it's a moral one as well, right? They're, they're simply, they're, they aren't just confused. They're, they've fallen into this people-pleasing thing rather than being servants of Christ. And I think that explains, at least in part, why they're forsaking the gospel, perhaps. and um, But Paul knows that, that that's where they're at. And so they, they've made a good biblical case for the Galatians to get circumcised, right? I mean, you, you know, this is what we used to do. Why would we dump it now kind of attitude, right? But only so they can, as Paul says in chapter 6, verse 12. Somebody flip over there real quick and read that. This is why they were ultimately doing it. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so they will not be persecuted on the cross of Christ. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) There you go, right? So is it any wonder then that Paul injects the theme of people-pleasing into the letter at this point, right? He knows that he's got to confront this head on because he knows it's a big part of what's going on there. And what he wants to say to the Galatians and what I believe he wants to say to us as well is simply this. People, pleasers, don't make good servants of Christ, right? Because people, pleasers, cave under pressure, right? It's it's the influential people in our lives that usually cause this to happen, isn't it? Not the insignificance, but really the, 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 in, the uh, influential one. Who might people like you and I today be tempted to be pleasing around? Authority figures? Authority figures? Sure. Anybody with influence? Sunday school class. (laughs) Put on your best, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, coming to church would, I mean, think of that. You know, could we fall into that? Coming to church? Certainly, right? I got to get there so so and so sees me or that kind of thing, right? And I think Paul understood this pressure, right? 
And that, those kind of things can cause us to compl- compromise our gospel roots. And he certainly could have done that, and, and we'll get into this in a couple of weeks, but uh, in Galatians chapter 2, right, he describes a time when it would have been easy for him to fudge on his convictions in order to win the approval of those people who were influential. He goes to Jerusalem, you remember, and... and um, um, this is the uh, in chapter two. It's the as Chris had taught uh, the famine visit there, but they wanted to uh, circumcise Titus, right? And he, I mean, he could have given into that and say, "Oh yeah, we, we ought to go ahead and do that," right? But but th- he didn't want to compromise that, right? He didn't yield to the pressure from them. Um, servants of Christ stand their ground to those that are wielding that pressure to compromise, and that's why he says in chapter. 2 verse 5 somebody read that this is his comeback to them wanting him to have Titus circumcised what did he say we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would, would remain with you right so I, we didn't even entertain that thought it's kind of what he's saying right I, I, I do appreciate the fact that he put we there right because at first thought of that I say well Gosh, poor old Titus, <laughs> nobody even asked him, maybe, you know, Paul just said, you know, well, this is me you're talking about, you know, why don't you go ahead, you know, but um, <clears throat> but anyway, so I guess Paul probably would have been already, right, but, <clears throat> but the we is there, so we didn't, you know, if Paul was thinking that way, Titus... Uh, no doubt uh, changed him right but but that was if you think about it a costly move for Paul right because surely he'd earned the disapproval of those who who were thought to be influential in Jerusalem but he knew that that at this the compromise at this point would have been even more costly not for him so much is because his thought was always about the church in Galatia it would have been more costly for them because that they would have that would have meant that they were going to the compromise on the truth of the gospel, which would have meant serving self with their actions. So his his motive and his ambition was to be pleasing to God and not men, which meant that he had every right to pronounce that curse that he did in verse 9, right? But um, he also, though, um, really wanted to drive home the point that this gospel that he got, and I just love this because it just, if we're, well, I won't say that. I, I really love it because he wanted to drive home the point that what happened to him, this gospel that he was teaching and what had happened to him in the early parts of Acts chapter 9 were not from man. This was impossible to come from man for Paul. So, And he does that by verse 11. Read that. All right, it's not. It didn't come from man, right? Uh, it means that in justification of the facts which I've just stated to you guys, or we might say it like this today. Let me make it perfectly clear, right, parent to child, and just in case you might not understand, let me make it perfectly clear. My gospel is of divine origin, and it's the only true gospel because it's from divine origin so that anyone who distorts it is accursed, right? And it's the the beginning of the sentence is really striking. He says, for I would have you know as what? 
as if they didn't already know. They must have known, right, many of the facts that Paul was was going to relate, but they were acting as if they didn't know it. You know, they knew it, but they were acting like they didn't know it. If they were letting it be known that they <clears throat> did know the facts of his life, <clears throat> they wouldn't be lending a listening ear to distort the gospel. And I think it's for that reason that he has to remind them again of the truth with the reference to himself in the gospel that he proclaims. Now, it's it's very interesting as well here that he uses a word in addressing them that shows a, a great deal of tact and and um, and tender care towards them. He what does he call them? He calls them brothers, right? And um, there's something that happens in Peru that that I just it used to happen more in the south the United States I've never really lived other than being born up north I've never lived really anywhere other than here um, and it used to happen more here but th- this word brother right and in in Peru when when you are with people in the church nobody and I mean nobody just says good morning Tim you know, they always say hermano, brother Tim, you know, and if they're addressing a woman, they always say hermana, sister so-and-so. Even the children in the church do that. Isn't that interesting? Now, they, what do you suppose then they call other people? You know, they, they just either say good morning or they say amigo, which means friend. Right, but they make a distinction between a brother and a friend. So I think Paul doing that here is showing some tender care over them. You know, he's he's just let them know that you know I just cursed anathemed these Judaizers on y'all's behalf. But hey, I know you were erring, but you're you're my brothers. You know, and that just. Well, let me ask it this way. Do, do any of y'all have non-believing biological brothers and sisters? You know, we all do. So now think of this. I mean, that's blood, right? DNA is there that they can trace. Yeah, those four girls are my sister. I didn't have any brothers. That's partially what's wrong with me. But <laughs> Strike that from the tape. But uh, But as much as they are my biological guess what those of y'all sitting here that are brothers and sisters in christ you're my real right there's a tenderness to that and and i think paul is dropping the hammer but he's still showing a tenderness that uh you know the think that we will be um walking around um, whatever the new heavens and the new earth us here today you know that's going to be such a huge part and, um, you know, I, I love the fact that Paul brings that tender touch back in it here. I can't, um, I can't really explain how that works. Um, I, I'm sure if you've been overseas or, or just even in different cultures in our own country, even in our own state, um, you know, you experience that. When you get around, you walk into a church and you don't have a clue what they're singing, but you feel that camaraderie right i've got a video on my phone right here of um this group of 20 people singing a hymn in quechua 
you know, even the Spanish people that aren't older in Peru don't understand that. But just you can, you sent, you know, the brotherhood, sisterhood is there. And so Paul brings that that out, right? Even in, in spite of their deviation, he regards them as members of the spiritual family. So the subject to which he calls their attention is the gospel that was preached by me. Preached meaning meaning what? You know, I preach this, you what? If somebody's preaching, what are we doing? We're listening. We're hearing it, right? So he's, he's, he's telling them, you know, I know that you've heard this, and since you've heard it, now who's responsible? Paul, the teacher, or them, the hearers? They are, right? And he, he says, you know, don't listen. This was preached by me. Never mind what the enemies have been proclaiming. He makes it known to them that this good news is not a human invention. He, he literally writes, not in accordance with man, right? <coughs> Yet the next verse clearly shows that what Paul has in mind is that the gospel which the Galatians had heard from him it differs not only in character but in content from any human gospel, but also, and for the very reason that he could say it's not, is its origin, right? It's not the result of human ingenuity or devising. Verse 12. Somebody read that. For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So what's he stating here? As far as I myself is am concerned, what message came from God? Came from God, yeah. The transmission of his message was from God. It wasn't sent down by human tradition. You know, he wasn't instructed by another pupil. This statement was directed against the Judaizers, of course, who received their religious instruction. How? mouth-to-mouth from rabbinic tradition and how what was one of the key ways that that they learned wrote memorization yeah repeating it over and over and over again yeah Sure. Yeah. 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 He's and as we'll see, he even he goes into further into his. He makes it perfectly clear, as we'll see by the end of his explanation, that that he's going to put an end to all of that that doubting there, right? But um, he he declares, on the contrary, he says where he received it through a what a revelation of Jesus Christ, right? He got it by a direct revelation of Christ concerning himself. And who else did? The other who? Apostles, right? Right? Now, that introduces a problem, though, because we could say, like those guys, I'm sure, you know, as Neil pointed out, weren't there lots of people that had taken part at one time or another in supplying Paul with the material for the gospel? Certainly he knew about it, right? How, how then can he affirm repeatedly over and over with great emphasis that he received it from Christ, from him alone and not from man, 
right? Certainly before his conversion, he had a great deal of information about Jesus or what would be true. He wouldn't have been out there persecuting them, right? So he had to have an idea, right? He must have heard the testimonies from the martyrs, you know, people that were he was dragging off. Um, and he was there when Stephen was stoned and heard his testimony. So I think it's safe to assume that even before his conversion, he was fairly well acquainted with the historical facts, at least, of what the gospel was teaching, right? He had the historical facts, but no matter how detailed Paul's knowledge of these events may have been, the totality does not constitute the gospel. Why? He had all the facts. How many of y'all were raised in a Christian home? Had all the facts. Does that constitute you as believing the true gospel? No. Correct? Why? What's the difference? There's no heart change. No heart change. Yeah. And so facts do not equal heart change, right? I mean, look at Satan. Does he have all the facts? You know, and he certainly had the opposite, right? Things need to change. And did they change in Paul's life once he had this revelation? Of course, right? That's what happens in Acts chapter 9. Everything changed at that point. And so with that in mind, then what he does is that was actually the ending point last week that we never got to. So we would have... This is not going well, so that's Chris. The introduction, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Right. Can I ask you a question? Yes, I might not have the answer, but go ahead. So, I think we think of um, the Jews hearing the gospel about Christ in the first century, and you think, oh, they just needed that last missing piece, and then, and then of course, they believed. So, what? Why were they having such trouble? Yeah. But I think we fail because we think that they're all faithful Jews. Yeah. They weren't faithful Jews. They weren't Jews by faith. They weren't Abraham's children. They were attached to, I think Paul calls it um, in verse 14, I was more zealous for my ancestral tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I just think we forget how traumatic it was yeah, yeah. for them to hear. Because they're not hearing, oh, the Messiah is here. That's what I've been waiting for. There were those, right? Yeah. But, but they're hearing, give up your Judaism, which yeah. is like, yeah. You're asking me to give up my citizenship, my American, you know, whatever yeah, yeah. it is that we think of. Yeah, that's right. And and so it, <clears throat> it was traumatic. And I just think how close this came to being. Because of, uh, if you go to any lost church that doesn't preach the gospel this morning, they're not walking around going, oh. We're the lost church, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. Good job, you know. We're 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 uh, we've corrupted the gospel. We've done a good job, you know. They think they're safe. Yeah. And so, how close this came to being uh, a group of good moral people that were lost? Yeah. And and that's easy to propagate, is it not? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And. But it's so easy to happen. Yeah. So that gets back to my question of then, 
what what's the wall that we hit as mankind? That that wall there. What is that? We're called to deny ourselves, take a cross, and we love ourselves yeah. too much. We yeah. don't accept the fact that we are utterly helpless and depraved. Mm-hmm. That's the greatest resistance to true repentance is love of self. Even it even hinders you in the right doctrines. So, not accepting the fact that uh, apart from Christ, we're nothing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. Yes, sir. I think that 30% of the people don't want to change. And history has shown they just don't want to change. They like what they're doing. They're comfortable with it. It's too much trouble to change. And as an instructor, as a teacher, you know, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them what you told them. And tell them one more time. So it takes more than one shot to get the message across. So it's an uphill battle when he's trying to change people, just like Chris is saying. From a let's say they're adults, let's say they're 30 years old and they have been indoctrinated into a way of thinking, and all of a sudden Paul comes in and says, "Well, you've been thinking the wrong way all this time," and they're going to say, "Wait a minute, who's the?" And he was too, up till. That's that's right. And and his strength of the message is what wins them over. Mm -hmm. But you can see the difficulty he was having moving them from their from their previous thought, whatever it was, whether they were faithful Jews or whether they were inclined or whatever, just moving them. I, I think for me, this is what I wrote down in my notes anyway. For, to me, the, the answer comes really clear in what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there real quick. Because this is true if we think about it for all of us, right? Because um, I wonder a lot, like what Chris says about, you know, is are are the preachers in these churches like that and and you may be wondering well there really aren't there are they are there are churches like that um are they intentionally teaching a false gospel or are they just blinded you know and and they think they're doing the right thing but anyway ephesians chapter two this is where all of mankind is verse one and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, the word were, present, future, or past tense? Past, right? And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, who is who? Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, all of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But here's the switch. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the difference, right? So, Paul had this revelation from Christ. He was dead. He he was practicing all that religiosity, if you will, 
but now he was dead in that. And those people, as Chris was saying, are dead in that, even though they're practicing all of that religious stuff. But when the revelation of Jesus Christ, when the but God happens, that's when the, as I've got somewhere further in my notes, when the scales fall off of Paul's eyes and he sees the truth, right? So that's where he's at here. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's it. We're dead. That's yeah. We can't do it. I, you know, not to be morbid, but we probably have all seen a human being in a casket, right, at an open casket funeral. If you walked up to that person, pull the safety pin out, and poked them, do they respond? No. Why? Because they're dead. Well, in the same manner, a spiritually dead person cannot. Re- respond to spiritual stimuli. We think right? of Paul's conversion alone. Yeah. It wasn't circumstantial that Christ thought, you know what, this this things are leading to where if I convert this guy, I could really turn this world upside down in terms of Christianity. You know, and he seems to be softening. You know, he hurt Stephen and maybe he was <laughs> a little reluctant and, and maybe regretted. No, and Paul says in Galatians that, but when he had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. This is a preordained, sovereign work of the Lord. And back to what Quinn said, and I agree, those are true statements. People resist change. But the truth is 100% of the people don't want to change. We resist this. Until. At our core. Yeah. Until God reveals That's the right. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I think too another danger is we can all get on board with the but God. That's where we were, but then we carry on our Christian life in our own flesh. So we forget that we're poor in spirit every day we walk up. Mm-hmm. We wake up. So when Paul says, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? And I feel like that's where I can fall into, the church can fall into, that yes, we don't just let go and let God, but I feel like we then measure ourselves by comparing ourselves among ourselves, and then therefore we remain this confidence in the flesh. And when if you really realize how bankrupt I still am, that I've been saved by grace, but I'm sanctified. I'm kept by God's power. So that causes me, out of love, to want to walk in these disciplines, but not because I get to lord over others and I get to measure my sin by others' sin. And So I just feel like that is the slippery slope for the church, that we look at the Jewish believers here and Paul's being kind in general. But I feel like we need that same warning, you know, that we don't commend ourselves or carry ourselves mm-hmm. in the confidence of the flesh. Yeah, that's good. So now that he's made that testimony, this came from God, guys, not from me, right? He now does something that I think we all ought to be prepared to do is he gives his testimony to the 
Galatians, right? And and he does so in th- three ways, which I think we all ought to do as well. And one is, you know, our, our what we were like before Christ, and uh, then the conversion experience itself, and then what happens, what's my life like after Christ? And that's what Paul goes through the rest of chapter 1 doing for us. So he, he does it in order to show with reference to each of these items that the gospel had not been given to him as we've clearly stated by human agency. So look what he says in verse 13. Somebody read that. All right, so he says, you know, that he's written this gospel uh, and it didn't have its source in men. He, he's setting out to prove this to them and his appeal is to his, like I said, his personal testimony, which, by the way, I often say there's nothing more powerful in, as an evangelistic tool than your own personal testimony, right? Your story. People can't argue with your story. You're the one that has been changed, right? Our lives changed by the gospel is the best argument for the gospel truth. We are our best argument. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that in sharing your testimony, um, but Paul certainly does that. And um, yeah, he shows us what his life was like uh, really explicitly in a Philippians 3. Let me read verses 4 to through 6 real quick. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness... Under the law, blameless, right? So he says here in verse 13 that you've heard, which suggests the fact that, again, the Galatians knew long before about his teaching. He wasn't just making this up. They, um, as I said a few minutes ago, they, they saw his life of all this persecution that he did. And interestingly, it says that... Um, ESV says, I think, extremely violent. Is that right? The New American Standard says, beyond measure. The Net Bible says, listen, savagely persecuting the church of God. That's pretty strong language. Savagely persecuting, right? He was a fully convinced persecutor, believing with all of his heart that what he set out must be done. Right, he says in Acts twenty six nine, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, in that light, we we should understand him when he writes verse fourteen. Somebody read that real quick, and we'll end with this. The word advancing there literally means to chop ahead, blazing a trail through the forest. Think of a guy in a bamboo forest with a really sharp machete, right? Blazing a trail, chopping it down. 
and, 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 you know, he kept blazing his trail, which meant he was cutting down anything in his way, and mainly Christians, right? And the, he says, the traditions of my fathers, that refers to the body of oral teaching of the Old Testament law that, that according to them, would have uh, the equal authority. Living as a devout Pharisee, he just simply would not be outdone. Again, in Philippians 3, 6, as, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Then in Acts 22, 4, he describes himself like this. I persecuted this way, capital W, to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, Acts 26, 11, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme in the raging fury against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And then Luke writes in Acts 9-1 that Paul was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So it's not surprising that he tells them here that, that he had been advancing, chopping ahead, right? According to his own testimony, this is pre-Christ, right? Um, that, that he was doing these things. So he had naturally advanced in his hatred towards Christians if that's what he was doing so why would he tell them all this because of change that was made in right so they would say wow something really did happen right he's saying that you know this didn't come from people this came from God because they would have known it certainly would have had to have come from God now you don't have to have a blazing testimony like that but I can promise you there's somebody in your life whether you were the goody two-shoes your whole life and never did anything wrong, you were equally as lost as Paul was, right? As equally separated from God as Paul was. And I can guarantee you that there's somebody in your life, even though you thought you maybe were the goody two-shoes the whole time, there's still somebody that knows something that if they were really converted, they could see an obvious change, right? So don't think that you got to be the guy with a machete hacking people's heads off in anti-gospel missions, right? But we're all just as equally lost. And there is somebody that would do that. And he told them that because they needed to understand that the only thing that really could have changed him was God. He couldn't do it on his own. And, And I say that about me. You know, even if, I mean, people that knew me before would say, yeah, something really happened. And then you know how, well, I'll get into this next week, but... Another testifying point for us, Paul was a new believer here, but a testifying point for us is how do we know it was not of us and it was of God? Because if you're anything at all like me, I wouldn't have lasted this long. Me stick to something for 30 something years? Are you kidding me? You know, ask my wife how long I usually stick with things. Right, So it's the work of God in us. I used to think this perseverance of the saints was me white knuckling it along till the end. You know, it's not. It's a work of God in us. And then for you younger folks, I can promise you that in 30 years from now, it's going to seem like that quick. And you're still walking with him. Wow. Only God can do that, right? It's Philippians 2.13 all over again, isn't it? Quote that for us. I called you first. <laughs> For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to work.
his good pleasure, not ours, right? Yeah. So we'll quit with that, and uh, y'all may we might have to have a marathon next Sunday because I told Chris he was going to be starting chapter two, and we got to get through verse twenty-four next week. But I just couldn't help but hammer this out in my own mind. So y'all get what hammers out. I'm sorry I'm such a slow learner. <laughs>